Well, thanks very much, Anita, for a very generous introduction. And uh, I, too, acknowledge the people of the Kulin Nations, the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. Uh, pay my respects to their elders, extend that respect to other First Nations people present, and commit myself as a member of the Albanese government to the implementation in full of the Uluru Statement from the Heart. I'd also like to acknowledge uh, Monash University and thank the Business School for putting together a great event. I'm especially chuffed that you've invited Joshua Gans to join us. Uh, Joshua is one of Australia's great competition thinkers, now at the University of Toronto. He and I have co-authored nine journal articles and a book, but we've never before spoken at the same conference. So <laughs> thank you to the organisers for allowing Joshua and me to tick that one off our academic bucket lists. I, I want to recognise too the work of the Australian Competition Consumer Commission Chair Gina Cass-Gottlieb and Productivity Commission Chair Michael Brennan. Uh, both are leading their agencies at a time of great digital change. The Treasurer, the Assistant Treasurer and I are considering recommendations made by the Australian Competition Consumer Commission in their latest Digital Platform Services Interim Report. Today, uh, the Productivity Commission releases its five-year Productivity Inquiry Final Report, which shows that Australia has a well-functioning system of competition regulation but needs to evolve with the changing business landscape. It's a very significant piece of Australian policy research. It's almost a thousand pages long, nine volumes and more than 70 recommendations across all tiers of government. In other work, the Australian government's recently con conducted a consultation to examine if online booking platforms are restricting tourism and accommodation providers from setting their own prices. Treasury has also completed a review of the news media and digital platforms bargaining code and the government's considering the review's findings and recommendations. Meanwhile, the House Economics Committee, ably chaired by Monash economist turned parliamentarian Daniel Molino, has just embarked on an inquiry on promoting economic dynamism, competition and business formation. I'm expecting this is going to be an important and wide-ranging study of the decline in dynamism which will doubtless consider how competition law should respond to the digital revolution. So there's a substantial body of work being done to help us better understand digital challenges and make the most of the opportunities. We're not the only government going down that path. The continuous growth of digital platforms has raised questions around the world about whether consumer and competition settings are adequate. First, governments are asking how do we ensure the gains from innovation are bigger and broader? Second, for this to occur, how do we put the right regulations in place? And today I want to explore some of those issues. Technological advancement has driven change throughout human history, but the scale of the digital revolution has produced unprecedented change at unprecedented speed. It's in our schools, our workplaces, our homes. Indeed, the technology that enables us is almost always with us, sometimes in our pockets, more often in our hands. As digital citizens, a typical morning might see us roll out of bed and immediately unplug our iPhones from the charger. With bleary hair, eyes and bedhead, looking nothing like our profile photos, we might scan Instagram and Facebook uh, for social and mainstream news. Next, we might ask Google for a weather report before deciding whether we should pack an umbrella. Of course, if you're in Melbourne, the answer's always yes. <laughs> uh, 
Monash Dean turned Productivity Commission, uh, Commissioner Stephen King puts it well when he says, none of this was possible 30 years ago. There's no doubt that digital technology has made our lives easier in ways that it would have been hard for previous generations to imagine. But there's a catch, or maybe more appropriately, glitch. The digital interactions I mentioned earlier all involve using platforms with more than half the share of the market. Last year, about 60% of mobile phones in Australia were on Apple's iOS system. So the Apple App Store accounted for about 60% of app downloads. Google has consistently provided between 93 to 95% of search services over the past 10 years. Measured by time spent from 2018 to 2022, Meta's Facebook and Instagram combined supplied 79% of social media services in Australia. So just think about that again. When you're using Apple phones, Google search and Meta's social media, you're using platforms with more than half the market. These firms wield considerable power over consumers and competitors. Powerful companies aren't a new thing, nor are companies that dominate particular sectors of the economy. But the degree, scope and scale of market concentration means some digital companies enjoy an unprecedented lack of competition. That's the challenge. Over the past year, I've delivered five major speeches on economic dynamism and competition. At the Gruen Lecture at the Australian National University, I presented new evidence on the decline in market dynamism. Over recent years, the new business startup rate has declined. Market concentration has risen. And the biggest companies in the Australian share market have barely changed for a generation. At the Warren Hogan Lecture at the University of Sydney, I delved into three moments in history where countries had experienced major boosts in economic productivity as a result of competition reform. These were the US Sherman Act and Teddy Roosevelt's vigorous enforcement of competition laws, Germany and the post-war breakup of industrial giant IG Farben, and Canada's 1985 competition reforms. At a Sydney Ideas talk marking the 30th anniversary of the Hilmer reforms, I discussed the competition reforms spearheaded by Fred Hilmer and Paul Keating, which led to the removal of anti-competitive regulations, the creation of a national electricity market, and the prioritisation of competition across government. Those changes contributed to the 1990s surge in productivity. On one estimate, the typical Australian household is $5,000 a year better off at a, as a result. And fifth, at the, at the Sydney, or fourth, at the Sydney Institute, I explored the is issue of price markups, noting that the gap between firms' cost of production and the price they charge has been steadily rising. It's a finding that's quite consistent with the growth in market concentration and highly relevant at a time when inflation is surging around the world. Fifth, at a per capita talk in Melbourne, I outlined the evidence on monopsony power, which suggests that greater employer power is one of the factors dampening wage growth. Just as monopoly power hurts consumers, monopsony power hurts workers. The bottom line is we need more competition, not just in the digital space, but across the board. 
Competition has the potential to boost dynamism and put Australia on a faster growth trajectory in decades to come. It drives businesses to innovate. It provides an incentive to take up new technologies. It creates an economy where new businesses can start up and where workers can switch jobs. In theory, navigating to a new website or installing a competitor app should be quick. You might think that in the digital space, competition was ever-present. Monopolies were like sandcastles. Yet, as we've seen, a number of features of these markets encourage lock-in. People have begun to refer to Mama, Meta, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet and Amazon. Five firms that dominate social media, smartphones, software, search and online shopping. And just to show that this winner-take-all dynamic is a feature of the technological platforms, the same is true in China. There, four players, known as Batex, Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent and Xiaomi, dominate search, e-commerce, social media and smartphones. As the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission report observes, the market positions and power of these platforms appear unlikely to be challenged, at least in the foreseeable future. The ACCC's observed, digital platform markets have a tendency to tip, leaving one or two firms dominating a market. It's worth unpacking some of the reasons that are distinct to digital platforms. One is network effects where users are drawn to the platform with the largest number of users, meaning market concentration is, to some degree, inevitable. For a recent example of network effects, consider those people who responded to recent changes at Twitter by moving to the platform Mastodon, only to find it was rather lonely there and to return to Twitter. Market concentration leaves us with less choice. If you've ever rolled your eyes at a software agreement but clicked accept anyway, you'll know what I mean. Another concern, which I've already mentioned, is innovation taking a back seat. For small businesses using platforms to connect with customers, that might mean lower quality services. There's also a chance that prices will be higher. Charging app developers inflated commission rates is an example of that. For many in-app purchases, Apple takes a 30% cut. Most app developers can't avoid that cost, but some of the big ones have chosen to opt out. If you've ever wondered why you can't go to your iPhone to buy a Kindle book, to pay for a Netflix subscription, or to sign up for Spotify, it's because these firms have become large enough to work around Apple's 30% fee. But for other developers, it's just a cost and a very big cost at that, of doing business. The US House Judiciary Committee, committee chaired by Jerry Nadler and its antitrust subcommittee, chaired by David Cicilline, undertook a 16-month investigation into competition in digital markets, starting in mid-2019. They hauled the big tech company CEOs before the committee for questioning and formally published a report in 2022 that concluded whether through self-preferencing, predatory pricing or exclusionary conduct, the dominant platforms have exploited their power in order to become even more dominant. 
I recently did an in-conversation event at the Australian National University with the authors of Chokepoint Capitalism, Rebecca Giblin and Corey Doctorow. They discussed the way that the much-vaunted flywheel effect can have an anti-competitive effect entrenching market dominance by locking in suppliers and producers. Like a physical flywheel, the economic flywheel builds momentum, making it difficult to stop. Giblin and Doctorow write, Amazon didn't turn an annual profit until 10 years after it started up. Spotify has lost money every year. But their stock prices have rocketed all the same because investors see how cleverly they're capturing their markets. Giblin and Doctorow point out that digital monopolies have come to dominate markets in unexpected ways. Because copyright permissions are so difficult to secure, hip-hop artists that want to produce songs that sample other songs need to sign on with a major label. Spotify's business model has come to serve record labels well, but at the cost of artists who now earn around one-third of one cent per play. Through its use of digital rights management, Amazon has come to control over half of the e-book market. Perhaps the most obvious form of flywheel effect in the digital space are the advantages that accrue to big tech firms from the data they've collected about customers and suppliers. For example, Amazon's digital marketplace is, provides vast amounts of information about popular products. That means Amazon's perfectly positioned to copy popular products, use its data advantage to optimise their marketing and encourage consumers to buy Amazon-branded products. Apple's App Store is another example. App developers are required to sign agreements that allow Apple to develop similar products that compete with their apps. But it doesn't run both ways. Apple scoldingly tells app developers, don't be copycats and, quote, come up with your own ideas. Some dominant players aren't even subtle about it. Billionaire tech entrepreneur and venture capitalist Peter Thiel argues that competition is for losers. If you want to build a lasting company, Thiel advises, look to build a monopoly. What's good for investors may not be good for consumers and suppliers, so it ultimately falls to governments to respond. There's also a risk that a large firm can squeeze both consumers and suppliers. Take an iPhone user. They're likely to pay more for the latest and greatest iPhone because of Apple's market dominance. Meanwhile, app developers are likely to get paid less for their product because Apple has the monopsony on which apps run on its system. Acquisitions matter too. Between January 2016 and December 2020, Google, Meta, Apple, Microsoft and Amazon collectively acquired 296 other companies. A generation ago, the so-called Chicago School approach advocated a more light-touch approach to competition regulation. Yet the Stigler Centre at Chicago University has recently argued that in many digital platform markets, we generally see competition for the market rather than competition in the market. In such markets, the incentives for a large digital platform to remove the threat of competitors 
by acquiring them can be overwhelming. Even in Chicago, the Chicago school is being revised. The ACCC's Digital Platform Services Interim Report, released in November, focused on the need for regulatory reform to better manage digital platforms. It listed scams, harmful apps, fake reviews, and inadequate dispute resolutions as consumer harms. It also identified increased market concentration and anti-competitive conduct as competition concerns. Like other jurisdictions, the Commission said Australia's current competition and consumer laws are not well suited to addressing these emerging issues. It recommended economy-wide consumer measures, including a prohibition against unfair trading practices and unfair contract terms. Consumer measures specific to digital platforms, including mandating dispute resolution processes and obligations to prevent and remove scams, harmful apps and fake reviews. A new competition framework that would subject designated digital platforms to mandatory codes applying to the services they would provide. Untargeted competition obligations for designated digital platforms to be in the framework and codes. It's a significant set of recommendations and we asked Treasury to seek industry views over the summer. In particular, we were keen to hear wider views on the likely effectiveness and efficiency of the recommendations. For example, do they target the source of the problem? Can they be enforced? What would be the cost to industry? How would they affect the incentives for innovation? Already our government's progressing a number of changes in areas where the competition watchdog has identified consumer harms. We've committed to establishing a national anti-scam centre. We've also passed legislation through the parliament to strengthen and extend the coverage of unfair contract terms protections to a larger number of small businesses. And we've already legislated increased penalties for breaches of the competition and consumer law. Fines should not be so modest that companies can treat them as a mere cost of doing business. The Australian government believes regulation has an important role to play in the digital economy. We're not alone. Several jurisdictions have found their economy-wide competition and consumer protection regimes have fallen short in effectively dealing with digital platforms. The regimes found inadequate typically rely on ex-post enforcement, that is, addressing conduct on a case-by-case -case basis after it has occurred. While approaches around the world will vary, the European Union, United Kingdom, are implementing competition and consumer protection frameworks that will impose specific ex-ante obligations on certain digital platforms. Like some of the ACCC's proposals, ex-ante means rules that are imposed up front or ahead of time. For example, in the European Union, designated gatekeepers will no longer be able to self-preference or list more highly and favourably their products over those of another business. And while we're yet to land on any decisions, our belief is that regulation should be practical, should be targeted, and it should be capable of evolving alongside the technologies themselves. That's where we see the opportunity. I'll make a final point about platform-specific obligations. They're already a feature of our laws. 
existing regimes use designations and codes to remedy potential competition issues. In conclusion, last month it was revealed that hundreds of words have been changed or removed in new editions of Roald Dahl books in an attempt to make them more inclusive. Children are no longer described as fat. Some references to mothers and fathers have become parents and family. Salman Rushdie and the Queen Consort were among many who criticised the edits. But few noticed why it had occurred. Copyright in Roald Dahl's books are now, is now wholly owned by Netflix. As one commentator noted, Netflix appeared to be making decisions over the artistic content in its possession, much as a snack food company might choose to change the name of a brand. The Roald Dahl Affair says as much about the power of platforms in the digital age as it does about the words we use to describe plus-sized children. <laughs> digital platforms are fundamental to the modern economy, so we need to ensure the right safeguards are in place within the marketplaces that digital platforms have created. Every day, we enjoy the benefits of technology. When we video chat with friends and family, when we make a telehealth appointment, when we shop online on a Friday afternoon during a politician's speech at the end of a conference. <laughs> competition is a way to keep the innovation happening. In some ways, the competition and consumer challenges are as large as the digital platforms themselves. We're examining those challenges through various lenses. Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill's leading vital work for the Australian Government on cyber security. Attorney General Mark Dreyfus is leading the government's work on online privacy. In the competition space, we look forward to responding to the ACCC's report and methodically working our way through the recommendations of the Productivity Commission's five-year report. As Rebecca Giblin and Corey Doctorow put it, many critiques of big tech seem to worry about its techness rather than its bigness. They argue that's the wrong approach, and I agree. The Australian Government welcomes the productivity-boosting potential of technological advances. Our concern is to ensure this innovation doesn't dampen dynamism, and that we continue to foster a competitive and innovative economy which serves workers, consumers and entrepreneurs alike. Thanks very much. <laughs>